January 5th, 1920. Anybody remember that date? Um, here's what happened on January 5th, 1920. The owner of the Boston Red Sox is short on cash. And so he decides that he needs to make a little extra money, and he's going to do it by maybe selling one of his players. So he sells a young pitcher by the name of Babe Ruth uh, to the New York Yankees for the grand total of $125,000. Babe Ruth, as maybe you know, goes on to become the greatest home run hitter in the history of Major League Baseball, leading the Yankees to four World Series championships in the next few decades. Well, meanwhile, the Red Sox don't win a World Series for like the, the next 90 years. Bad trades, I think. October 12, 1989, the Minnesota Vikings desperately need a new running back. And they are zoned in that their guy is going to be the Dallas Cowboys running back, the big star whose name is Herschel Walker. So they put together this trade, and they're so eager to get him that they trade away four players and eight draft picks, making this the largest and costliest trade in NFL history. It's all their first-round picks for like the next three years. Unfortunately for the Vikings, Herschel Walker turns out to be kind of over the hill at this exact point. And the Cowboys cash in all those draft picks and use them to build a dynasty of a team that wins three Super Bowls in the 1990s. Bad trade, right? June 25th, 1996. It's the day before the NBA draft. The day before the draft, the Charlotte Hornets decide that they need to make a last-second trade. And so they trade away their first-round pick, the 13th overall pick, to the Lakers in exchange for this kind of old but kind of awesome center whose name is Vlade Divac. The next day, the Lakers use that pick to draft this very confident young man known as Kobe Bryant. So, like, Vladi Divac, he, he did okay in Charlotte, but Kobe Bryant, obviously one of the best scorers in NBA history. Bad trade. <laughs> so all of these transactions, like hindsight is twenty twenty. All these transactions at the time might have seemed like a good idea at the time, but in the long run they turned out to be a disaster. Now, human beings have a long history of bad trades. But I'm not just talking about sports. We also have a history of bad trades when it comes to the biggest problems of life. So now we're suddenly diving into it, right? Biggest problems of life. What would be on your list of the biggest problems of life? You know, maybe our lists would include some different things. Let me propose these three uh, as at least being on the list. Biggest problems in life. One of them, the problem of guilt. So, like, what consequences might there be for bad things I've done? There's a problem. Another big problem of life would be death. Because, last time I checked, the death rate of the world is 100%. This is going to happen to us at some point, and we haven't figured a way out of it. So, universal human problem of death. I'll offer one more for our list this morning. The problem of eternity, which is simply, what's going to happen to me after I die? fundamental human problem, right? Something people have thought about a lot. So throughout our history, human beings have tried to deal with these problems, guilt and death and eternity, by making trades. So let me tell you what I'm talking about, give you a few examples. Sometimes our trades are explicitly religious, and maybe it would sound like this. 
I am going to do a bunch of good things for God. Right? I'm going to go to church a bunch. I'm going to say prayers a bunch. I'm going to give a bunch of offerings. I'm going to make sacrifices or whatever. I'm going to do a bunch of good things for God. And then in exchange, God is going to take me to heaven when I die. Right? So it's like an exchange. Here's my good religious life. And as a reward, I get to go to heaven. Another kind of trade that human beings often make is maybe a little bit more general. It sounds like this. I'm going to put good vibes and good karma and good energy out into the universe in hopes that eventually it's going to come back to me. Right? Like if I'm a good person and I put out some good vibes, then hopefully some good things and good vibes are going to come back to me. What goes around comes around. But whether we are doing this in an explicitly religious way or whether we're doing it in this very general way with karma and the universe, it's kind of the same thing. I'm going to try to do good stuff and be a good person and put that out there, and then in exchange, I'm hoping to get some good things back. But there's just one flaw in this whole line of thinking, and that is this. Who says that my good things are worth trading for in the first place? So if you can, this morning, I want you to think really deeply about this one point. Think about this, just logically, think this through. It's estimated that there have been a trillions of people who have ever lived in the world. And it's calculated that today there are about 8 billion people living on the world right now. Not quite 8 billion. But that's a lot of people, right? And all of those people in human history have kind of had the same kind of a life. Now, on the one hand, there's all kinds of differences, right? People have different privileges and opportunities and backgrounds and experiences. But we all go through life pretty much the same. We all put on our pants one leg at a time, right? We all go through the different stages of life, and we have generally the same motivations and generally the same passions and generally the same goals in life, right? We want to be happy. We want to be successful. And we have generally the same pressures and temptations and all of it. But there are billions of people living in the world. There are trillions of people that have lived in the world. Do we really think that we are special enough to stand out above all the rest of them? Do we really think that God or the universe or whatever is going to be particularly impressed over our good things instead of everybody else's good things? Do we really think that our life is worth trading for blessings here and now, let alone for eternal blessings, getting to go to heaven? Do we really think that our life is that special and good? Well, on the one hand, we kind of do, or we kind of would like to, but that is because we're biased. Uh, and so what we do is we measure life with a sliding scale. We tend to be, tell me if this is not the case for you. This is the case for me. We tend to be very critical of other people and their flaws and their failures and things that they shouldn't be doing. And then when it comes to ourselves, we tend to be much more understanding. Even though sometimes we're doing the same things that we would tell other people that they shouldn't do, we've always got a reason. We've always got an asterisk. There's, there's some reason why, in our case, things are, are different. But the truth is, it's not different. We are just as flawed and just as fallible as every one of the other almost 8 billion people on this planet. There's good in our life, and there's bad in our life. 
but there is nothing particularly special about our life that makes it stand out above the rest. If we're willing to think deeply about this and be honest and admit our personal bias, we think about our life compared with the billions of other people out there, we have to admit we're not that special. Right? We're just one of the herd, if you want to put it that way. And if we do think that we are somehow the special one, if we do think that we're somehow superior to everybody else around us, well, that illusion gets shattered as soon as we open up our Bible. Right? Because what the Bible does is it cuts straight to the chase and it starts addressing all those big problems of life, guilt and death and eternity. And God's word calls it exactly like it is, even if that's really hard to hear. For example, uh, last week we're finishing up our sermon series on Jesus' words. We're talking about the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus reminded us of how high God's standards are for humans. Be perfect, Jesus said, as your Father in heaven is perfect. And perfect, by definition, means flawless, no flaws, no mistakes, no errors. God is flawless. God made the world originally flawless. Heaven is going to be flawless. And so if we are going to get to heaven, we need to be flawless. That's God's standard. Then, in verses like Psalm 14, for one example, God clarifies just how good of a job have the billions and trillions of people in this world, how good of a job have we done at meeting his standard? Well, the Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there's any who understand, any who seek God, and all have turned away. All have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Well, there you go, right? So it turns out that none of our lives are that special after all. And the problem, of course, is original sin, our sinful state, which just kind of corrupts everything that we do to the point that the prophet Isaiah wrote, even our righteous acts are like filthy rags. So the good things that we're trying to do, that the good things we're accumulating like we could trade them, maybe our good things in our good life, maybe it's all impressive to us as we measure things on a sliding scale. Maybe our life is impressive to other people because they don't know us as well as we do. But it's not impressive to God. All of our good things are worthless to God, at least in terms of, of impressing him and convincing him that he should favor us above everybody else. Essentially, what the Bible is saying to us is a very sad truth. If we think we can trade our lives for God's favor, it's a bad trade. God has no interest in our flawed good works, our weak excuses, our rationalizations. From God's perspective, we have nothing worth trading for. And yet, God is willing to trade something to us. And the terms of his offer are shocking. Here's what God says. He says, forget about your flimsy good works. I'm not interested in any of those. Give me your sins. Give me your failures. Give me all the things that you're so ashamed about that you don't even talk to anybody about it. You just kind of bury it down deep inside. Give me all the reasons that you deep down fear that you do deserve my wrath and punishment. Give me all your bad stuff, God says, and in exchange, I will give you my son, the only perfect person who has ever lived, and he will take your badness, and you can have his goodness. 
and he will go to suffer and die in your place, and you can come to heaven with me in his place. This is my deal, says God. This is my exchange. And any outside observer would look at this and say, well, that's a bad trade, right? The kids are thumbs up, thumbs down. That's a bad trade on God's end. And it's true on God's end. God seems to be getting the short end of the stick. But like we said in our children's message, God doesn't make this trade because he wants to have something from us. He makes this trade simply because he loves us. Simply because he loves us. And that brings us then to finally the words of our sermon text, which is only one sentence long. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21 says this, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Whenever I teach Bible basics class, I like to illustrate this verse with a picture, with an illustration. And many of you have seen this because you've taken Bible basics class, so this will be a fast review. But here's what it looks like. Um, This is what God wants. This is God's standard, and this is what we should be. We should be holy, as God made things originally. By definition, we should have no sins then. And the result of being holy without a single sin would be life, eternal life with God. That's where we're supposed to be. However, where we actually are, without exception, every person of the billions in this world, is that we have a lack of holiness, and we have plenty of sin, and the wages of sin is death. Eternal death, being separated from God, and it lasts forever. So this is the problem, right? We're supposed to be over here, but we're actually over there. So what are we going to do about it? Well, then, as I teach this in Bible Basics class, I introduce some of these man-made solutions that don't really work, right? Maybe I can do a bunch of good things a little more each day, and it's like I'm climbing a ladder and getting closer to God. Maybe I can do a bunch of good things and try to balance it out, and at least my goodness is going to outweigh my badness. Maybe I can do a bunch of good things and at least it will make me feel like I'm better than that guy over there who's doing a whole lot of worse things than me. But all of these quote-unquote solutions have the same problem. We're still not perfect. We can climb the ladder as well as we think we can, but we're still not perfect. And as we look at our whole world and the history of our world, not only are we not perfect, we're not even exceptional. We are one of many. We are one of the herd. There is nothing about our life that God should be interested in trading for. And yet, God does offer to trade something to us simply because of his love. And here's what he trades to us is his one and only son. The first person ever to live in this world who checked all the boxes, he actually was holy, he actually had zero sins, the only person in world history to live a life so good that he deserved eternal life with God in heaven. And yet, what is Jesus famous for? Well, he's famous because he died. This horrible, painful death on the cross. And why would this happen to Jesus? Well, it's because of the exchange that God is making for us. And here's how we would visualize this with the passage. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. God took all of our sin and put it onto Jesus so that in him we get to become the righteousness of God. God took all of Jesus' holiness and put it onto us. And then the results come with. Jesus gets the punishment for everything we did wrong. Jesus died and he suffered eternal death 
Maybe you remember Jesus saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? On the cross, he was taking our hell. In exchange, we get to go to heaven with no strings attached. We are children of God. Like in Jesus' place where he was, this is now what we get to have forever because God has completely exchanged his own son for us. And not only do we get heaven, but we get a status of being God's children right now. We get God's love and God's protection every day. This is God's great exchange. So God made this trade for the whole world. But one of the goals of our Lent series, which we're starting today, is to help you recognize God made this exchange for you as an individual. And this is how the Bible talks about it. So just picture this. Think of your own life. You have your own stuff. I have my own stuff. Think of your own personal life and think of your own sins and think of the things that you don't talk to anybody else about them. You just bury it deep down. And you think of all the things you're most ashamed of and just all of the bad. And God says all of that was put on Jesus when he died for you on the cross. And then think of how does God look at you? How does God think about you? And what does God see when he sees you? And he sees perfection. He sees holiness. The perfect life of his son, which is on you and covering you and counting in your place. When you look at it this way and you make it personal, then you start to realize something. While you may not feel very special compared to the billions and trillions of people that have lived in this world, God says you are special. Clearly you are very special because God was willing to give his one and only son personally, individually, for you. So you could be his son. So you could be his daughter. So you could be his child. Who would have ever guessed that God would value human beings so highly? But he does. So it's one thing, I think, to understand all this intellectually, right? We can draw a diagram and everything. But it's another thing to, to feel it. It's another thing to see it. Um, and to this point then, some of the most intense scenes that you'll ever see in like a movie or a TV show would be scenes of prisoner exchange. And there is one scene in particular at the end of a 2004 film called Man on Fire that not only can I not even talk about it without getting choked up, I almost can't even think about it without being choked up. But what has happened in this movie is there's this girl who's been kidnapped by gangsters. And her bodyguard, played by Denzel Washington, has spent the whole movie tracking her down. And finally, he takes out so many bad guys that they really start to hate him. And they hate him so much that finally the bad guys agree to an exchange. His life for hers. So there's this scene. And the music is beautiful and the scenery is breathtaking. But there's this long, slow scene where the wounded Denzel Washington shuffles from one end of this bridge out to the middle, and on the other side, they let the little girl out, and she comes running up the bridge, and she jumps into his arms and hugs him, because he's her bodyguard, he's her personal friend. And then he says, it's time to go. And that little girl runs the rest of the way across the bridge down into the arms of her mother. And Denzel Washington's character, John Creasy, walks slowly down to the other end of the bridge, gets into the car with the gangsters, and you know that you're never going to see him again. It's incredibly powerful stuff to think about this, giving your life for somebody else, laying down your life in exchange 
so she can go free and you would die. That's the greatest act of love that any human being could ever make. And watching a movie like this makes you think about what would it be like to show this kind of love to someone? Would I be able to even do that? And what would it feel like to have somebody show that kind of self-sacrificing love for me? But I think, I know, the reason that this movie Man on Fire hits me so hard is because of my Christian worldview. By faith, I understand this is what God did for me. Right? I was that little girl held hostage by my sin and all the things that I deserved for my sin. But Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came walking across that bridge for me. And he knew everything. He knew everything that was going to happen to him at the end of that bridge. And he did it anyway. He was condemned so I could be forgiven. He died so that I could run free and live. And he did the same thing for you. This is your story. So what does your life look like to you then when you recognize that you have been ransomed by such a massive sacrifice at such a huge cost? And what does it do for your confidence as a person when you recognize God values you that highly? And what does it do for your peace of mind about the future when you